explanation of the resurrection and what it means for us than this verse, Romans 8, 11. <clears throat> if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. On Good Friday, I happened to see a uh, viral post, a viral tweet going around from a professor and a humanist from the UK. And when you hear it, you'll understand immediately why it went viral, specifically on Good Friday. Because she said, pretty clearly, pretty succinctly, just a little reminder today, dead people don't come back to life. And of course, she's usually right, right? Like, that's usually correct, isn't it? Dead people don't come back to life. But whereas she saw this as a statement so obvious that she could say it and just dunk on poor imbeciles like you and me who actually think that Jesus did come back to life, I couldn't help but marvel at that statement. No, dead people don't come back to life. So that makes it all the more special. All the more important, all the more noteworthy that Jesus did come back to life. If Jesus came back to life, then not only is she wrong, but she is gloriously wrong, magnificently wrong, fantastically wrong. And that's how if statements really tend to work. You know, it doesn't really matter how great the second half of that statement, that conditional is, if the first half isn't actually there, if the first half is false. I can say that if John Cougar Mellencamp ever wins an Oscar, that I'll be a very rich man. But I'm never going to be a very rich man for that reason. He's never going to win an Oscar. That's never going to happen. A lot of our lives, when we think about it, hinge on those big if statements. If you'll marry me, I promise to make you the happiest woman on the planet. Without the first if, that second one really isn't going to happen. Even with it. I could think my wife would say, like, happiest on the planet. That's a pretty high bar that you set for yourself when you asked me to marry you. But without the marriage, the, the happiness doesn't come with it. Today's text, just a single verse, when it's understood correctly, is really a much bigger if statement than anything I just mentioned. And if we'll understand it, then I think our lives are going to be changed in even larger ways than they would if John Cougar Mellencamp ever wins an Oscar. So today, we're just going to look at this one verse. We're going to make sure about what it's saying and why it's saying those things. So look back with me at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And since we're only looking at this one verse today, it allows me to point out something that normally would be so obvious, normally would be so clear, something that's so assumed in the text, I wouldn't even necessarily have to take the time to look at it. We'd be tempted to overlook it here if we didn't have time this morning. But Jesus was raised from the dead. That's clear in this text. Our God assumed human flesh so completely so totally, that not only was he born as a baby, not only did he live a perfect sinless life as a man, not only did he suffer on the cross, but Jesus died. God in the flesh died a human death. His human nature was just as human as yours and mine, just as mortal as you and me. He felt pain. 
hunger, anger, sadness, sorrow, happiness. He felt all those things as a man, all just as much as you do. But for him, when he died, death wasn't a sign of defeat like it is for us. It wasn't the final blow that was dealt by sin and death against someone who has failed their entire life to win the battle like it is for us. It was one more step closer to his victory. His death is really only the precursor to his life, to his resurrection. Yes, he died. Absolutely. He was dead. But he came back. He got up. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. This indisputable fact is in this verse. It assumes it. It's almost a throwaway phrase, like Paul includes it, even though everyone already knows it, the same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead is just kind of a footnote here in the rest of everything that's happening, because it's so obvious to everyone who's gotten to this point in Romans 8. It's so clear in Paul's mind that it actually happened. He doesn't spend much time convincing you that it happened. He's so excited about convincing you what's going to happen because it actually happened. It feels almost similar to me telling you a story about my trip to the store where I say, uh, if I go to Walmart where they sell fruits, I'll find the bananas that my wife sent me to find. Well, yeah, they sell fruit at Walmart. I didn't have to say that. It's so obvious. I'm going to Walmart. That's, That's where I go to get the fruit. I would go to Kroger, but it's too expensive. So I go to Walmart because that's where I go to get my fruit. If the same spirit who raised Jesus, the one who came back from the dead, dwells in you. It's so clear. It's one of his defining traits. He was raised. But as obvious as it feels like it seems to Paul, the author, without that fact, without the fact of the resurrection in this text, nothing else he says makes any difference at all. If Christ were not raised, then this is all just hogwash. It's empty words with no effect. There's no way that we can be indwelt by the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. As conditional as the if statement is in this verse, it is resting on, it is assuming the fact of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, none of what Paul says makes any difference. None of what I say today makes any difference. We have gathered this morning specifically to celebrate our Savior who paid the penalty for our sin, who died in our place, and then rose again to new life. But if he didn't rise again to new life, then how am I supposed to know that he did anything else? Paul makes that same point explicitly in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's just coming right out and saying it. He's saying our entire faith, all of our beliefs hinge on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that, we have nothing. We worship nothing. We waste one hour of our week every week when we gather. If that didn't happen, we can all throw our Bibles out the window because none of this book matters. 
I saw on Twitter this week also something else, which evidently means that I spend too much time on Twitter every week. But I saw something this week which was a particularly bad take, which is rare for Twitter. You always only see the best takes, the smartest people writing everything down. But I saw someone make the argument that Christianity would be worth following and believing even if Jesus didn't come back to life. Even if the resurrection didn't happen. They said, no, Christianity is just a good way to live. Therefore, we should do that even if Jesus didn't come back to life. And while I somewhat appreciate the point that they were trying to make, that the Christian life just aligns with how God ordered the universe to work, that this is objectively the best way to live your life, that you can't actually live a good life and ignore the laws of God because that's how the universe operates. That guy who said that is just so obviously and terribly wrong. Without the resurrection, what are we doing here? We gather on Sunday. Why? Because Christ came back to dead, come back from the dead on a Sunday. We worship him because he said he was going to come back to life, and he did. If he didn't, then he's just some guy who said, I'm going to die and come back to life, and lied. That's nothing. I'm not worshiping that guy. This book says over and over and over again, Jesus died and came back to life. Why would I believe it when it tells me anything else if that is not true? Without the resurrection, we have nothing. What do you mean I should believe this book and still follow Jesus if he didn't come back to life? The promises on every page are just lies without the resurrection of Jesus. But we can rest assured that he did come back to life. The Bible says so. This verse says so. It says so over and over again. Eyewitnesses said so. There are more than 500 who saw him alive from this text. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote that everyone said Jesus came back to life. He clearly died and then he was walking around. He said that. The disciples went from being scared and locked in their rooms, denying any involvement they might have had with Jesus, to boldly proclaiming his gospel that he came back to life throughout the entire world, even to the point of death. His body was never found. Jesus Christ, the God-man, died and came back to life. He rose from the grave. It's true. It happened. And if it happened, then that is all that matters. Nothing else matters. The rest of history is a minor footnote in the face of this man who is God, who died and came back to life for your sins and for mine. You might be someone today with doubts as to the truth of Christianity. You might not like some of the moral demands that are made on you by this Bible. You might have some bitterness, some kind of resentment toward Christians, maybe even people in this room. Maybe you don't like something that God has done to you or for you in the past. You feel like you've been dealt a hard hand. And I don't mean to minimize that at all. I understand that those things are real. But either Christ came back from the dead or he didn't. If he didn't, then okay, go ahead. Live your life. However you please. I'm right there with you. If he didn't come back from the dead... Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if he did come back from the dead, 
then eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead, and tomorrow we will be alive. If he came back from the dead, then nothing else matters. The disagreements you have with fellow Christians fall away. The poor hand that you feel like you've been dealt falls away in the life of Jesus Christ from the dead. If he did, then you have to do something with that information. And I think that this verse can help with that. This verse can show you what to do with that. Romans 8, 11 assumes the truth of the resurrection so it can tell us what his resurrection has now done for us. And what can happen in light of that resurrection? Well, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So evidently, it is possible to be indwelt, to have that same spirit which raised Christ from the dead actually living within me. And we know from verses 9 and 10, right before 11, just before this, that those who are in Christ not only can have that spirit, but they actually do have that spirit. That's what sets us as Christians apart from everyone else. We have the spirit of God dwelling within us. When we have faith in who Christ is and what he did. That indwelling in this text is really the mark of whether someone is a true Christian or not. It's not whether you come to church on occasion. It's not whether you show up, let's say, on a major religious holiday, such as Easter. It's not whether you show up all the other Sundays, too. It's not whether you claim to be a Christian, whether that's the box that you check whenever you vote for whichever candidate you vote for. It's whether you have the Spirit dwelling inside you, which happens through repentance and faith. It's whether you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation from your sins. And all who have done that really and truly will continue that life of belief and repentance for the rest of their lives. Very likely, yes, attending church every time the doors are open. That's what Christians look like. We are spirit-indwelt believers and repenters. That's what determines whether you're a Christian or not. So if that doesn't sound like you, then I think you have to ask yourself this morning whether you have the Spirit of God or not. You have to ask yourself whether you have truly repented and believed or not. You have to ask yourself whether you are actually a Christian or not. And what a privilege it is for those of us who have the Spirit dwelling within us. For we who are in Christ. You have the opportunity, the chance to have dwelling within you the very same Spirit of God which raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, I can't find anything better than that anywhere else. There are no better deals coming my way that I might be able to find. No better offers exist than that. I am a wretched, terrible sinner who has done terrible things throughout a lot of his life. I am completely and totally unworthy of being in God's presence. Much less having his spirit actually within me. But you're telling me that I not only have the chance to not be burned to a crisp in his presence, but to actually have him in me. To be indwelled by that same spirit. To be someone filled with the spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Well, that's a pretty sweet deal. He's the one who raised the human nature of Christ from the dead. Nobody else did that. I don't get that offer anywhere else. 
But the deal really just keeps getting sweeter for us in this verse. Because we see not only can he dwell within us, not only by grace through faith does he dwell within us, but if he does, then he will also give life to our mortal bodies. Well, grace upon grace. Romans 8.11 just keeps rolling out the hits. We only thought that there was good stuff here up to this point. But we didn't even know the half of it. It's like when you bite into a donut and find out that it had a jelly filling you didn't know about. It just keeps getting better. We can receive his own life is what this verse is saying. And when we understand the rest of scripture as well, we know that us receiving his own life is actually why he came and died in the first place. Colossians 1.18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Did you catch that? The firstborn from the dead. Well, when someone's an only child, we don't usually call them our firstborn, do we? That'd be like running a 5K around your house and telling people that you finished first in your age bracket. It's like, well, yeah, you did. You're the only one. Jesus isn't the firstborn unless there is a secondborn, unless there's a multitude of many sons who have been brought to glory by him and his resurrection. If Christ is firstborn from the dead, then we have to assume that there are going to be others who are born from the dead. There will be others who come back to life in the same way that he did. His resurrection, his unconquerable life, which has defeated sin and death, that actually buys us. It gives to us our own resurrection from the dead. He was the first one through the wall, and now we get to receive all those same benefits. He broke through that glass ceiling, and now with him, there's no telling how high he's going to take us. But perhaps what's most astonishing in this entire verse to me is the way that it phrases that idea. He will also give life to your mortal bodies. Do you know what the definition of mortal is? What's the defining trait of something that is mortal? It dies. By definition, it has to die in order for it to be what it is. It is mortal, not immortal. It dies. But it's to these very bodies of death that he gives life. To our mortal bodies, to those things which die, life has been given to us. We might be tempted to think, if we didn't know any better, when we hear that Christ will give life to his people, that our bodies might become immortal immediately. But this verse is saying that it's our mortal bodies, our bodies which die, which will have died which actually receive Christ's life. He's saying, no, 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 just as Christ died, yeah, you're going to die. But just as Christ lived, so you will live. Gloriously, astoundingly, his life becomes your own. And having died once, you will never die again. There is no second death for those in Christ. He did die, but he only died once. And now he has a glorified body, which is dwelling in heaven for eternity. So guess what kind of body we're going to get when we are raised with him and where we'll be dwelling? 
We're raised to imperishable and eternal life in immortal bodies, just like Christ, just like he is. Augustine, father of the church from 1500 years ago, wrote about this same idea and said this. Said they, our bodies, are not only no longer dead, but no longer mortal or capable of dying. Since the natural is raised spiritual. And this mortal body shall put on immortality. And mortality shall be swallowed up in life. I love how he words that at the end. Mortality shall be swallowed up in life. Death is overtaken and overwhelmed by the life that we've received through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Swallowed up. It wasn't big enough. It reminds me of that scene in Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, when the the Jedi ship gets attacked by a fish, which then gets attacked by a bigger fish, which then gets attacked by a bigger fish. It wasn't big enough. It got swallowed up. Our death is swallowed up in the life of Jesus Christ. Death itself is swallowed up in the life of Jesus Christ. We get life really and truly in him and through him. And if we're being honest, isn't that what we're all after? Isn't that what we all want? We go through our lives haggard and tired, every one of us. We are wandering and searching. We're grasping and groping in the dark. We keep thinking that we've found whatever might give us the life we're looking for. And every time we think we've found it, that bread turns to ash in our mouths. But this hope, this promise, it can't be denied. It finally and ultimately fulfills because it swallows up everything bad that might have come against us. The passions of these mortal bodies are satisfied ultimately and finally and truly in the life of Jesus Christ who came back from the dead. But it's very important we notice in this verse that we're dealing with an if statement. It is conditional. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The hope and promise of this verse is absolutely, most certainly true. It definitely is. But it is only true if you meet the condition of the if statement. If you have the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling within you. Without that, you get nothing. Your mortal body is still and always will be just that, a mortal body. You're headed not only for a first death, an earthly death, but a second death, an eternal and spiritual death apart from Christ. And I've got to be honest with you, that first death, it's coming sooner than you think it is. No one thinks it's time when their time comes. There will be people in this room who lay down to sleep one night and don't wake up without seeing that coming. There will be people in this room who get in a car one day and have their lifeless bodies pulled from the mangled frame. And without the spirit of God dwelling within you, this verse says that there is no second life coming for you when that happens. So in light of that, the question on every single person's mind in this room. What you should be thinking through, the the burning, desiring questions, 
palms sweaty, sitting in your seat, grasping the pew as much as you can, trying to just keep it contained in your mouth with everything that you've got. The question you should have is, how do I get that spirit inside of me? How do I meet the conditions of this if statement? How might I have that life in my mortal body? What do I have to do? Well, let me answer that question, first of all, by saying that you actually do nothing to receive these benefits. You don't earn these benefits. It's not because of your goodness, because of your ability, because of your strength that you get any of these things. It's not based on something you do or something you earn. Look at the verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, you are not the active agent in anything that happens in this verse. You are a passive recipient of all of these benefits. It doesn't say that if you live a perfect life. It doesn't say if you go to church every week, if you try your best, if you always vote the correct way, that you'll get life in your mortal body. It says that if the spirit who raised Christ Jesus, if God dwells in you, then that same spirit will give that same life to you. He dwells and he gives. We merely receive his dwelling. We merely receive his giving. He accomplishes all of these things through his spirit. The same one who lived for you and died for you and raised and was raised for you also dwells within you. And gives his life to you. So it's not your own power. It's not your own strength. Your own perfection. Which might give you this life. All you do is receive it gladly. All you do is respond. To that still small voice. That you're hearing right now. Which is calling you to himself. You listen to that inward stirring. And the words that I'm saying to you. And you respond. But the way that you receive it, the way that you respond, the way that is actually applied to you, the way that is given to you, the way his spirit dwells within you is by grace through faith. It's by you repenting and believing in his work and his promises for your salvation. It's through you turning away from your sin and the full hope and trust that his life is free for the taking for you. You have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That he is God in the flesh, who came to fulfill his own law because you couldn't. Who came to die in your place because that's where you were headed. But even more so, you have to believe on this Easter Sunday that the same Jesus who died is the same one who was raised. He came back to life to give you the same life that he earned back for himself. Believe that that's true for you. And repent of your sin. Repent of all the thoughts, the desires, the actions which go against God's holy nature. Repent of every evil thing you've ever been a part of. And resolve to move forward in faith, desiring to sin no more. And then five minutes later, when you have broken that promise and sinned again, continue moving forward, believing Christ's finished work on your behalf, Repenting of your sin and moving forward, resolving to lay aside your sin and pursue his life before you. Trusting and hoping that every sin you could possibly commit was paid for on the cross. That when he said it's finished, it actually was. That he actually did pay it all. And when you do that, 
you recognize that you've been born again. The Spirit of God is dwelling within you already. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the chance to be able to come together on this Easter Sunday and worship you, our risen Savior. Thank you for being born of a virgin, for living the perfect life, fulfilling the law that we couldn't live, for dying the death that we should have died in our place, for coming back to life to give us the hope and promise of a life of our own. And then ascending into heaven, letting us know that those promises are secure. That they're never going away. Let us respond as we should to that. Let us be a people who believe and repent. Let that be the mark of who we are. Not merely our attendance, though we should attend. Not merely our actions, though we should act in line with your word. But that we are a people who repent and believe. And we do that every day. We love you and we thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for these gifts and this day on which you rose from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.